Welcome. It is the Ski Bum Podcast. Finally, back together. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Uh, feeling good. This is uh, an interesting time for a podcast. I'm liking it. I wish this was our full-time job because it's the morning time and I'm refreshed, relaxed, ready to go. Uh, so it's good. It's like funny this. the different iterations of us that you get depending on when we do record a podcast because there's sometimes there's a Friday night at nine o'clock episode when things get a little bit silly. You know, there's the five o'clock on a Monday podcast, which is, you know, very different vibe than that. And this time you're getting a Saturday morning vibe from us. Bright eyed, yeah. bushy tailed, caffeinated, Ooh. feeling good. We actually for our main topic, we already it's already in the can. We did a, a great interview with our friends Trisha and Phil Puglisi from skitalk.com. You probably know them. Awesome. Some of the best best reviews you're ever going to find on ski gear. Real um, reviews for real people. That's that's a perfect tagline. We met them back at Snowbound. So you got to drink when we talk about Snowbound, of course. <laughs> met them at Snowbound in Boston. They were extremely friendly, welcoming. They have an awesome community too, if you haven't checked it out, skitalk.com. Yeah. And had a great chat with them about all different things. So hope you guys stick around for that. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of our information at skibumpodcast.com. Go to the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Untap, Ski Bump Podcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Don't you want to support all this love, all this ski info that we're bringing you guys? You can do that. Patreon.com slash podcast. You can help us out. You can be a patron. Got a couple different levels. Help support us. Help us grow. Make this show better. Heck, if you hit the top of the line one, the hundred buck a month one, maybe you can be a producer. Yeah. We're still working on the rewards. We're going to have a big overhaul of the site over the summer and we're going to kind of build things out, make things a little more... I don't know. What's the word? Exotic, extreme, badass, awesome, fun, all those things. So thank you. So support us, if you would. We would love that. We'd love some support. YouTube, we're on there too. We're posting the podcasts on YouTube. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. Mario, let's kick this off. The good old Saturday morning. It's time for All Pray Today. Actually, I'm starting off with my my black coffee, but what I've added to it is a little Kirkland Signature Irish Country Cream, you know which funny? is the I, I ghetto think, version of Bailey's. I think, eh, I don't think ghetto is the correct term anymore. It's when actually you, better than Bailey's. When you're going Kirkland, it's almost like like the underground speakeasy version that That's, you got to be yes. part of the you got to be part of the club. You can't <clears> just walk into Costco. You got to be club. a member. I actually like that better than Bailey's. I, I think it's not as sweet. I don't know what it is. It's probably the same exact thing, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's a different label. To me, it tastes better. Uh, comes in a nice plastic bottle. Uh, good price point, and um, it's a fan favorite in the mornings. You know, it's either that or a mimosa. And I haven't been drinking as much. I was telling Brian about this, uh, partially for health reasons. You know, diabetes creeps up for all of us. Partially for the way it makes me feel the next day. You know, like. The next day with a lot of alcohol, I get a little, you know. So Nobody I, likes that making, feeling. Yeah. So I've been making a weed mimosa with the weed, the squeeze, put that in there, put seltzer and orange juice instead of champagne. So okay. you get that, you get a nice little buzz going, go hang out at the pool or the beach or the mountain and just chill out. It's a nice slow roll to the morning. Just, just saying. I'm not and mad at that at all. 
there might allegedly be some weed in here too. I call it the uh, dance with the devil. <laughs> dance with the devil. Riding the lightning, the thunderbolt. I like it. Got a little bit of both, alcohol and weed in there. I like you it. Never know what you're going to get. How about you, Brian? So me, hey, I'm, uh, I'm team coffee also. And look at my sweet new cup that I have. Nice. Look, it's got the new logo, which really is just the same logo, but instead what of high folding ski bumps. Oh, this is the recently discontinued Nordic purple, which ah. I must tell you is probably my favorite shade of purple that exists. And purple is my favorite color. It's so like a plumish color. Dark when plum. I saw that Yeti was discontinuing and reducing the prices on their Nordic purple oh. drinkware, I actually bought three different sizes awesome. of Nordic purple Yeti drinkware. And you think of one, the value proposition, right? Those things last forever. They last forever. And you're not throwing them out, which is great. And glass, like I break glass all the time because I have, I'm a Butterfingers little six-year-old pretty much the way I handle glasses. <laughs> so I got this. I love it. And what's cool is the cost to customize was almost this. Like if you, the discount they gave you because they're discontinuing it, was almost like if you bought it at regular price and you got like free customization. So I got, I'll say the, I'll say the other one that I got later in a later episode. It's more of like a summer one because I got oh, the wow. one with the handle, the 24 ounce one with the handle. That's going to be great for like at the pool, having awesome. some beers, whatever. So but I got my call. We have been looking at the handles that you could attach on those because that's a tough, you got the 20 ounce tumbler, right? The, um, Rambler. That's right? this one. This is the 20 ounce Rambler. Yeah. 20 ounce Rambler. So I have a uh, one ski bum one and I have a, a, another one that I got from somewhere. And they're just a little like, especially if your hands are wet or you got gloves on, like they could slip out a little bit. Especially if you're using like uh, doing like the butter coffee, get a little butter on the yeah. side. Get a little something on there. Yeah. So they have like all sorts of things. Like I don't like, they have the round things, you know, the sleeves that you could put on that are like, rubber and it's nice because you can help grip it but they actually have these attached these attachments like they're like a handle that attaches to it i'm like i'm gonna buy one of those there you go i just yeah. bought new tops new tops and colored uh what do they call the whoa, magnetic, whoa, whoa. The magnetic piece <laughs> yeah you yeah, that little know. magnetic thing the uh nope. yeah the magna whatever the thing they, they recall it for magna yeah yeah that thing so i got colored ones so that you could tell who's who's because the problem is they're you know, when you, you see the same looking one next to each other, like, I don't know which my, one is mine. Now I know because I got the one with the little blue little magnet thing or blue magnet. magnet thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I got a couple of these purple ones. I'm digging them. Awesome. The new tops are cool, too. I have like a flop, a flop top that's supposed to be like from Amazon. It's not supposed to spill. It still spills, but whatever. It's better than the it's these magnet ones. But got these. Love them. Coffee. I'm drinking coffee, too. And I, Kirkland Connection. Ooh. From Costco, this is the Rutamaya Organic Medium Roast Coffee. Ooh, organic. It's organic. Big and the reason why I got this, the, reason, the biggest reason is that it's medium roast. Because I don't like a dark roast or French roast. It just tastes burnt. It's like someone I'm screwed off up dark roast now. Yeah. yeah, I don't like dark roasts. I will, I'll be, I'll be honest though. If it's the holidays, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Starbucks has their wacky like Thanksgiving roast or Christmas roast... I'm a sucker for that. I have to get it. I'm like, whatever. Like, you know what? Because I can't get it any other time. But here's the thing. If I'm adding something that. to it, like creamy, like some cream or some Irish cream or whatever in there, I'll do the dark roast once in a while. Yeah. But now that I switched you to it. black. You can't drink black, yeah. Yeah, now that I switched to black coffee, it's got to be medium roast or light roast. That's it. 
Yeah. I just got mine. I got a splash of heavy cream in here. You know, I don't nice. even deal with the half and half anymore. I go right to the heavy cream. Right just a little bit. Just a little bit to let you know it's there. Yeah. You know, I don't like when it gets like, like some people, when you go to a coffee shop, one of the most infuriating things to me is you watch the person like dump out half the coffee into the garbage into you're pouring hot liquid into a plastic garbage bag well the thing that pisses me off is i've worked in restaurants you know fast food whatever and you know when you take when you have to change that garbage bag any liquid in there just gets all over the place and now you got to fucking mop everything so yeah kind of a dick move because you're screwing the person that now has to take that out and deal with the fact that you're an idiot pouring water into a into a garbage can. You know what's even worse? At a restaurant, we used to, I used to do like a kitchen prep and we yeah. used to do just sheets of bacon, like big old cake pans full of bacon. That's good. And some people, because we put parchment paper down, put the bacon on, cook it in the oven like 75% of the way, get it ready so you just throw it on the grill, finish it yeah. off. People would take the bacon greasy parchment paper and just dump it into the garbage can. Uh-huh. And you're like... Bro, there's also like old tuna fish in there and vegetable remnants and whatever the hell was in the fridge. And yeah. now it's all been just unleashed, lavified by hot bacon grease. So you lift hot up the bag grease. and you're just like, well, today's going to suck. Yeah. You got to get that out of the garbage somehow. So it, yeah. I hate it. I see it and it's it pisses me off because I'm like, it's inconsiderate. You're like, I'm screwing somebody that's going to have to deal with this garbage now that that's- I just... It's also so wasteful. So yeah, yeah. You see the person dump out half their coffee into the garbage, and then like I'm gonna put in a gallon of cream and six packets of Splenda. And yeah. I'm healthy drinking my coffee, and I love the environment. I have my Prius. It's like you know, everyone... all those places are good at. If you say leave room for cream, they leave room for cream, and then you just put it in. They usually leave too much room. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, you could talk to them, actually have a conversation, and say, "Hey, can you?" Can you just leave a little bit or a lot for, for room for me to put the other stuff in there? Yeah, that's um, why I just like making it at home. I can do it right. And I have a purple mug yeah, to floss with. So that's nice. I like this coffee at Costco. I just sent you the mag sliders. So Yeti has them on their thing. They got different sets of like three. So it's three okay. color sliders. And then you can get different. But it's great to keep track of your Yeti. You're like, that. oh, nice. That's my Yeti. Don't fuck around. Well, see, here's the my Yeti. Usually I use the one with the flip that I got, like the aftermarket flip lid. Okay. And because I usually use that layered turmeric creamer, it's yeah. basically stained yellow. So yep. we know which one's Brian because it's stained yellow. From you, you, you still doing the turmeric stuff? I do. Yeah. That's my, that's my, default. I like that once in a while, but I was like, I didn't like it enough to buy like continually. Buy. I got a subscription, man. It comes every three months. I get three bags. So yeah. That's how I got I that. Um, rise the, um, the mushroom coffee. Yeah. And I tried it and it was all right, but it's, it's like a cup, hot cup of mushroom soup. Like, <laughs> Which, Hey, if you want a hot cup of mushroom soup is great, but when you want well, coffee, it's good. If you want something hot in the morning and something healthy for you, great. But if you want actual coffee with the caffeine, yeah. that's where you're going to fall down. Right. So here's the thing about this Rutamaya coffee. So I, I don't know the price of it these days. I, I'm guessing it's maybe like $8 20 bucks for two pounds. <laughs> What's that? Eight million dollars an ounce, and it comes yeah, it's from like, it's, a cat's ass. Well, it's like twenty bucks. It's like twenty some, maybe twenty dollars for two pounds of coffee, which isn't terrible. That's not bad. Crazy thing is, if you go on to just Google it, Amazon twenty eight dollars, thirty three dollars. What are people doing? They're going to Costco. They're buying them up. They're reselling them on Amazon. 
So don't tell me you can't make money because you can do the same damn thing. You hustle. You got to hustle. Rise and grind. Rise and grind. That's right. Literally. Rise but first you got to grind, make your coffee, then you rise, then you grind again. So different grinds. You know, you can roast your own coffee beans too. That's not a, it's a you pretty You can also grow your own do. coffee beans too. That's right. Right? Who stop you? Yeah, Nobody's so, stopping you. Coffee. We're amped up. We're jacked up. We're excited for this podcast. Mario. Let's go to Ski News. All right. Got a lot of good ski news in top of everybody's headline. I was telling Brian, I didn't realize how big of a deal this was until I was flipping the, through the channels on Saturday afternoon last week. And I see Gwyneth Paltrow on her ski case where she there was a, a collision. Um, so it was ruled that she was not at fault in the ski crash in the ski crash that happened in 2016. So this has been going on since 2016. 2016. This is isn't how fast and effective the uh, the justice system is in America. And this isn't the appeal. This is the initial case. Like, yeah. holy crap. So uh, Terry Sanderson filed a $300,000 lawsuit against Gwyneth Paltrow, alleging she recklessly, uh, her reckless skiing caused her to run into him from behind. Oh, yeah. Uh, on February 26, 2016, in Utah's Deer Valley Resort, the collision left Sanderson with four broken ribs, a concussion, and lasting brain damage brain that affected his daily life and personal relationships, he said. So, oh yeah, I guess he couldn't get up is what he's trying to say. Um, <laughs> the jury deliberated in the afternoon and found, uh, in fact, at fault, not Paltrow. So Paltrow countersued for $1 as well as her legal fees, insisting she did not run into Sanderson. It was very dramatic. There was a lot of acting. She's a very good actor from, from what you can see. Um, um, she's Iron Man's <laughs> wife, apparently. Like, that's real. She, there's like clips. Like You could go out there and there's a ton of great clips you can get. I mean, it's not as good as the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a cut rate version of that. The Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, was, that was juicy. There was a lot of shit that got you know revealed to the public. You're like, what happened? Like, Fecal delivery. Yeah, like a lot of crazy shit. But now just we have to like remember these people are professional liars. Like that's their job. They pretend to be stuff. So they could very easily pretend to be sad and victims and not the fault. And I love but, this. Paltrow told the court that she testified she initially believed she was being assaulted when a man came up behind her, put his skis between hers, and groaned. <laughs> That's so Did this happen weird. in slow motion? That's like, so... Was it a crash weird. or was it kind of a mm, bump? <laughs> oh, it fell over. What's up, girl? What's up, girl? <laughs> I don't I heard see Brad girl. here. I don't see Brad or Coldplay here. <laughs> I, I heard sup, girl, and then they were kind of sliding <laughs> back in there. And it's just funny. Like Some of the stuff is just... It's, it's precious. I don't and see then, nothing wrong <laughs> with the little ski and grind. Ski and grind. You got to think Gwyneth Paltrow is not going to she's not going to get like the better call Saul lawyer here. Like she has a legal team. These people oh, are going to and they're going to dig through your personal life, everybody you're connected to. And that's what they did. Part of it was they uh, I guess they reached out to the daughter, the daughters of this guy, Sanderson. Yeah. And he had all kinds of like estranged relationships with his kids. So. But then they heard, Before oh, the you ran into Gwyneth Paltrow. They were like, I got some advice for you, dad. You know, you can make a lot of money. Well, no, it's kind of the opposite. I think he was, he was, uh, 
allegedly in cahoots with that guy who saw it from like 40 feet behind. <laughs> there was the guy, uh, Craig Ramon. That was his witness that he had. Oh, he wow. apparently had vision problems to begin with. And then said from like 35 feet from behind that he could see what was happening. Could you imagine like when you think about skiing and if you're skiing, think about how far 35 feet is. I mean, what's yeah. that? Like think about like basketball, like foul line to the basket. Dude, read this eye chart. Now. You can't see shit from 35 feet. How about that? <laughs> That's what they got to prove. <laughs> Guys, 40 feet away and colorblind. How many, how many fingers am I holding up? See, there you go. Your honor. Like and you're not focusing on what's in front of you at all. Like you're you're skiing, you're right. focusing on what someone else is doing forty feet away. You're just watching this person slowly grind up in behind Granite Paltrow. Yeah, and they're claiming guess that like, she just she just left the scene. Yeah. Apparently, like she was there for like four minutes and helped well, with the ski there was patrol. Something I saw, I saw some bite, and I may be butchering what it actually means, but it was something she was saying about. Well, I have people that take care of things because she said something like, I'll just call so-and-so and they'll take care of this. And it was like kind of one of those things that I got a handler. And I think she had to explain like, I'm in Hollywood. I have people that take care of things for me. I'm like, yeah, you have a Ray Donovan that, that's going to make this shit go away. Yeah, Mr. Wolf. That's, that's right. If she yeah. did have a Ray Donovan or Mr. Wolf, I think this guy would have disappeared. The court would have never even seen the trial. Yeah. Just hey, saying. Look, how about we go and uh, we go for a quick drink after this? How about That's that? Right. Great. <laughs> you don't want to pursue this, do you? Why? Uh, why are we going into the snow shack shed? Right. And yeah, uh, it's right around the corner from here. We'll take care of this. No problem. Take him out back. Give him the goon hand and yeah. make it go away. Yeah. That that guy, the colorblind guy, said they testified that Paltrow left after about four minutes without identifying herself or waiting to see whether Sanderson was all right. Hmm. So what is the protocol? You run into somebody, do you exchange numbers now, insurance? Like, what? Oh, like, dude. It, you know what's crazy? Like, how many? I mean, I know Park City, Deer Valley, especially, but a lot of big resort towns, you see so many of those like ambulance chaser lawyer signs. I was yeah. up at Bel Air a few weeks ago. I saw a big old the shuttle bus had, you know, lawyer and lawyer LLC. Like, if you were injured, it's like, man, that's, uh, it's, that's it's, the doom and gloom waiting for the sport and the, and the enjoyment of it. But yeah, because I wonder now, like, right. What are you supposed to do? I mean, you check that somebody's okay. It could be between you and them. They might say, you never checked on me and they left. But what is the protocol? Are you supposed to check that they're okay? You're supposed to be like, you okay? And then ski away. You're supposed to be like, F you. What are you doing? And then ski away. Like, I don't know what the protocol is. We insurance info, have to get a police report. Like, what's going on? We need like a ski lawyer to kind of tell us what we're supposed to do in this situation. Would would Steve, as a ski patroller, know? He might. I'm going to reach out to him. Ask. We got to get Steve on because he. I want to hear about his uh his interesting ski patrol season that he had. Dude, he he actually saw somebody die this year. I know. He had a heart attack. It's in front of like his. Wasn't it like in front of his kid and father? I don't know. It was very sad. He was just like all of a sudden the, per- the person, I guess they must've had some, you know, prior health condition cause it was a, you know, a heart issue. So I can imagine that happens, you know, not that, not that rare. It's probably, you know, a little more common than you want to think, but if you're not in great shape, you go out you start pushing it and you just, that's, it's messed up though. I'm like, I don't think, I don't know if they died right there or if they, he died as they were trying to save him or after, but it's just I think sad. he said it was like a family too, like a whole group. So this guy was, mm. was like in his like late forties and mm. was with his son and his father. Damn. Which I mean, ugh. 
absolutely horrible. And then he also, you know, besides that, he sent us that one picture of that, the guy who got like a, a concussion or knocked out trying to jump that river. Oh yeah. Which it's, it's like the most Jersey thing possible. Like snowboarder tries to jump in this river and like smashes into the side of the the bank and like knocks himself out. (laughs) Like you couldn't, you couldn't like try to do like, it was weird. Like you had to go out of your way to like basically plow your head into the ground. It's like, like, it's like, Hey, I'm going to jump here. (laughs) The river bank is here. It's like, you have to sort of go up. And there's no sort of rockets or jump or like ledge. It's like, I'm just going to go straight and somehow I'm going to get up and over. Ah, uh, but even to emulate that without a, uh, without skis or a board, right. You'd basically have to say, okay, I'm just going to go head first into the ground right now. Like oh. that's literally what he, what they did. It's like, holy crap. Of course you're going to get a concussion. Yeah. So maybe, Look, you didn't crack your head open. So I would think a ski patroller would probably have some pretty decent insight as what one should do if one gets into this sort of situation. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't think there's any official protocol. So if you're a D-bag and you crash into somebody, say, ah, if you, whatever, and you leave, I, I don't know, is is everything covered by your waiver release on the mountain with the ticket? Like, well, I think or- the waiver release is just to protect the mountain, not to protect other skiers who may get into an incident like negligent skiing or something like that. And then it goes to court. And remember that story from a few months ago, that incident in Colorado where that snowboarder crashed into that ski instructor and he died. Yeah. Did, and didn't they he, go off a jump, like a blind jump and they crashed well, he, into their head or something? Well, he crashed into them, but then he bolted. And then yeah. I guess the guy who was skiing with the the skier who died saw him, identified him and they caught him down the road. And I think he got like a thousand dollar fine or something. Wow. I mean, it was really, I mean, it was it's time to try your super G the, skills. The guy literally got away with murder and wow. I know people were really upset about that, but I, I don't what know. Can you do, right. It, it literally is an act. And even if somebody's negligent, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think anybody's going to kill anybody. So you could claim negligence, but it's not like they try, we're going out to kill him. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's a good hitman thing. Go out on a ski slope. Let's not put that in people's out. heads. Listen, there's enough stupid people, enough psychopaths out there. Let's not give them any more ideas. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I go out there, I, I kill somebody skiing, and boom, it looks like an accident. Like but a being ski bang, assassin. A ski assassin. Yeah, it's going to Deer Valley, taking people out. <laughs> That's where it would happen, too. That's where it would happen. Solitaire's trust fund is, is really, you know, holding up my inheritance. So why don't you take this guy out? That's terrible. If anybody's listening and has that idea, I did not give it to you. Let's put it that way. Well, speaking of Deer Valley, if you haven't heard, they're going to be creating another resort there. Pretty much, I guess it would be south of Deer Valley in that same mountain ridge over there in in the Park City area. So Deer Valley is in talks to operate what's going to be called Mayflower Mountain Resort Terrain snowboarding ban would still apply mm, look at so that. for those who are not in the know deer valley is one of the is it three resorts in the u.s that does not allow snowboarding it's park city or i'm sorry it's deer valley alta and mad river glen All right those are the three those are the three those are the big three big no three. snowboarding allowed hmm. Incredible. so this new mayflower resort that's been developing in Wasatch County uh, could have Deer Valley as the operator of the terrain, a scenario that envisions a major expansion of Deer Valley slopes. The topic was mentioned last week 
during a panel discussion about the ski industry organized by Leadership Park City and held at the Santee Auditorium in the Park City Library. Mayflower Mountain Resort is an Extel development company project that is underway in conjunction with the State Military Installation Development Authority. There will be discounted hotel rooms reserved for the military as part of the overall project. Pretty Ten cool. Down. Yeah. Todd Bennett, the president and chief operating officer at Deer Valley, briefly addressed the topic as part of his remarks during the forum. He told the crowd there is an ongoing dialogue between Deer Valley and Mayflower Mountain Resort about the operations of the terrain. If the Mayflower Mountain Resort slopes are folded into the Deer Valley terrain map, then it said Deer Valley's ski only experience would apply there. Wow. The comment referring to the snowboarding prohibition drew applause from the crowd. <laughs> I like that uh, military installation development authority. It sounds badass. Like that does sound really some, badass. Yeah. We do some secret stuff out there. Like you may get, you know, we have the howitzers mounted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. You feel pretty safe. Pretty safe skiing there. So if the agreement is reached, an expansion of the Deer Valley terrain would be significant and follow years after the additions of the Empire Canyon and Deer Crest acreage, which effectively stretched Deer Valley from a point close to the banks of the Jordanelle Reservoir to the highest elevations of Empire Canyon. Mm. Timeline for the talks between Deer Valley and Mayflower Mountain Resort was not provided on Monday. Kind of the perfect way of applying the ski industry to America right now. There's the othering. You know, like if you're a skier, you're like, ooh, those snowboarders, they're bad. They're evil. We don't want them on their mountains. And as a skier, I'll be honest, the less snowboarders seem to be around the better things are you know you know what i don't mind this because you know what terrain parks are really designed for snowboarders you know mainly but hey nobody complains about that right i mean i have plenty of friends who are snowboarders and are super cool and respectful and awesome at what they do that said this is purely anecdotal evidence a lot of times when you see dumb things happening on the mountain, it's a border. Well, I'm saying also, always pure anecdotal evidence. I see a lot of dumb skiers too, but yeah. Well, it's also about the terrain. What happens to the terrain with snowboarders on it versus not snowboarders, right? There, yeah. You know, there's a lot of a lot of observation that there's a lot of scraping going on when boards are on it. So it's, it just changes the mountain a little bit. So it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to plow all the snow off the mountain for you. <clears throat> Yeah, welcome. I mean, I I get it. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing because there are so many resorts now. It really doesn't matter if there were a few resorts offering entry to borders. I'd kind of probably be on the board side saying, "Look, you can't be that," you know. But this is a handful out of thousands of ski resorts that allow snowboarders. So you know what? If you want to have your unique little thing, I'm not allowed to go to the um, what's the uh, the Yellowstone Club. So. Why should a border be allowed to go there? A little bit it's different. The same difference. A little different circumstances. That's it's you're, the same. That's because you're poor. That's why you can't go to the Yellowstone Club. You're poor. See, they're keeping me out by economic inequality. And you know what? Theoretically, based on my personality, if you look at all the things that I support, I'm usually like the fan of the underdog, kind of the rebel, the rabble rouser. I should be a snowboarder. At heart, I am a snowboarder. But what does our Hermitage Club do? Borders or no borders? I think they're allowed there. Hey, as long as you can pay that 50 grand to See? go ski haystack, they're like, yeah, whatever. Dude, bring a monoski. We actually saw a monoskier at Killington. Oh, see, that's a ski. Now, you could have a monoski that converts to a board. 
Paul, can you ski? Can you mono ski at Deer Valley? Yeah, it would be a good. Uh, it's a ski. Now, if you had something where you could get on and get up to the top of the mountain, and then switch your your bindings to go into full board mode. Now you're on there boarding, dude. If you have a mono ski, how do you like get a? How do you traverse? <laughs> you don't you like you just kind of like your use your arms. And... Like, is it all arms? Kind of like just like almost like you're on a. It's like the same crutches? as board. You probably have to pop out and use one foot or take them both off and walk, right? Well, at least you have the poles with the mono ski. So you actually yeah. could just do all, you'll like jacked shoulders of a year of uh, mono skiing, just traversing, just right. big jacked shoulders and back. Jacked shoulders. Yeah, we saw well, a mono, we saw a guy with a mono ski and we were sitting next to someone from the trip and they're like, ah, the mono ski, like all the worst parts of skiing and all the worst parts of snowboarding combined into one. Ah. Uh. Oh. which really hits the nail on the head let's be honest how about a a free ride monoski like they have the free ride boards with no bindings extra wide extra wide well no they don't have bindings so you just what do they call them the um like a freestyle board or a free board oh the ones that just you kind of stand on right that's almost like a yeah. surfboard pretty much like a right? surfboard yeah a monoski like that or you use one <laughs> like of those a, in your like monoski or like a powder monoski like how big is that <laughs> like a sled how about snow blades that have no bindings <laughs> There you go. Be, I'm sure somebody's tried it. I, I'd love to see. Oh, the, I'm sure the someone outtakes. has. I want to see the outtakes, the research outtakes. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got one final story here in the good old ski news. And this came up this past week. Yeah. A new ski resort is for sale. Get your pocketbooks out, checkbooks, your Bitcoin. Powder. Your Powerball. Powder King Mountain Resort is for sale. So got loads of money and looking for a badass little investment opportunity? Who's not looking for yield these days? Everyone is. Consider buying this sweet thing in northern BC for the tidy sum of $8.25 million. Now, I think this is Canadian dollars. Oh, so it's even cheaper. That's what I'm saying. It's, I think it's, it's in Canada. So I would assume the listing is out of Vancouver that it's got to be Canadian dollars, which, I mean, what are we talking then? Like $6 million? Maybe Looking two, right now. two million dollars. I don't know. What's the exchange rate? Dollar thirty-five Canadian. Boom. So you're getting like a thirty-five percent discount, right? My math off. Eight point two five divided by one point three five. It's like six million dollars. That's already a much bigger discount we're talking right now. It is. I just it did was... it. It's done. Six, six million point US. two. Eh, there's room to negotiate there's room to negotiate get that no more than six no more than six let's call it six let's play with that number it's a nice easy round number you know i think jeremy renner could have afforded this oh jeremy instead of just the piston bill he could have bought a whole mountain yeah it was listed right now by colliers out of vancouver who described the property as a fully integrated all-season master planned resort community with 900 acres of skiable terrain 37 runs, three lifts, and a variety of housing for guests and staff. Dude, eight, for $8 million, let's say $6 million, I hit the Powerball tomorrow or tonight. You've talked about hitting the Powerball thing. for like 10 years now, and you I'm have gonna, not hit said Powerball. I'm going to keep talking about it till I hit the Powerball or the Mega Millions. Um, I hit that, that thing. We're, we're, we're naming this mountain, Ski Bum Podcast Mountain. I love it. So it's in Mackenzie, British Columbia. Now, I want you to look on a map and put in Mackenzie, British Columbia. 
because friends that is way up there like way 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 up there it's like barely british columbia still you're almost in it's yeah. like the northwest province or actually it's probably the about west territory you you're get you're not far from the yukon let's just put it that way if you're a hockey fan and you know where edmonton is oh, let's yeah. just say this city is northwest of edmonton that's how far up it is like it's way up there yeah, Edmonton is north in the middle of nowhere. This is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this is way more norther and wester in the middle of nowhere. But this is close to the U.S. territory, not too far. Yeah, you're, you're close. Let's just say you're closer to Alaska than you are to Washington State. Yeah, like that. That's that how little, far north it is. That little piece of Alaska that goes down that we own, or the Northwest Territory that we own, like down. Prince of Wales Island, like that southern part. Ketchikan, yeah. Yeah. Ketchikan right is there. like almost due west. That's not bad, see? Yeah. So you are you are up there. You are really up there. Holy crap. North, well, what's cool anything is, north of Edmonton. Yeah. What's cool about this though, uh property facts and highlights. It's got a 50 room hostel style hotel, which hey, we can always convert it into like 10 baller rooms or like nice. Maybe one wing will keep us hostile. One wing will keep as like baller lounge. Yeah. Sweet. Diddy style. Diddy style. Dining room and lodge with licensed pub. Day, day use cafeteria style restaurant. Development agreement and master plan that allows for a significant expansion and acquisition of crown land. I don't know what crown mm. land is, but I want it. Is that the Queensland? I guess. Take her over. Is Sorry. Queen. Buy, buy it from the crown. I don't know. I have no idea. How about we crown? annex it as Americans? Right. Oh, boom! boom. We and oh, Pretoria. We could have our own. What's Trudeau going to do? And then his woke army to stop us? Huh. Oh, we we'll call we we'll call it Skitoria. We we'll load Skitoria. it up with a Skitoria. Yeah, the new service province of Skitoria. Service shop and accessible uh, accessory buildings, on-site staff accommodations, utilities, infrastructure including hydropower, natural gas, and expandable yeah. on-site septic. So let's see if we buy this and maybe try to buy a little bit more land around. If we establish a town with a certain amount of people, do we get voting rights? And can we then secede from Canada and become our own country? And that's, then we have Skitoria. Basically, that's the premise of that wild, wild country, isn't it? And that uh, that Google <laughs> yes. guy took over that town in Oregon. <laughs> yep. Part of like a sex I, cult. Yeah. We we can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing: I'm trying to wrap my head around. So. Okay, it says Powder King is an all-season mountain resort that offers outstanding skiing in the winter and a wide variety of seasonal recreational opportunities between the mountain and its sister resort, the Azuzeta Lake Resort. Oh, which is also part of the offering. So not only do you get the ski mountain, you get the lake that's like a couple miles away. I am losing money by not buying this place. That's what I'm saying. That lake means fishing, boating, a whole bunch of stuff in the summer. Four seasons of, of fun and, and shenanigans. So 37 ski runs, three lifts, 40 feet of annual snowfall. I mean, that's super legit. So you also get that Azuzeta Lake Resort, which only resort on the 340-acre Azuzeta Lake, five duplex cabins plus two A-frame cabins, four extended stay cabins with full kitchens, 25 campsites, gas station, convenience store Damn. cafe 97 which serves homemade comfort food seven days a week year-round 
Sandy Beach, boat launch and dock, six kilometers from Powder King. Damn, dude. Dude, how is this for sale? How how is someone not snatched this up? Oh, why? Well, because it's almost in the Yukon? In the middle of nowhere. But still, it's there's a... Not, there's it, not a single woman around for miles? Dude, if I had money, that, that would be my evil heir. Like, you're talking about having your castle up there. I'm building... I'm seceding. So I'm working out. I'm, I'm actually writing some notes of how to secede from Canada. <laughs> to Google how to secede. <laughs> I want Skitoria. I want I want Blackface Trudeau the fuck out of my area and just <laughs> Justin shoot. Trudeau is racist. We're starting a revolution at Powder King. <laughs> Can you imagine this massive revolution starts at Powder King, which we now secede and call ourselves Skitoria? History books will look favorably upon us, I assure you. And then we come out and say we would like to join the United States. No, we're going to become our own sovereign nation. Boom. We're going to take over all of northern British Columbia. We'll talk a lot <laughs> Can about we join NATO? Podcast lately. Like Andorra could be like our sister country. Like we'll... <laughs> No, we joined NATO. Like, we joined NATO, yeah. We can't already... do anything in this Canada. We're part of NATO. <laughs> yep. We got a NATO application. We got like embassies all over we can get a lot we can get a lot of uh think about that you have your own country we could have embassies we could have we got a lot of write-offs <laughs> we can have diplomatic community we could do diplomatic anything immunity there you go it's like Super. with the saudis like run people over and kill them like untouchable immunity. we ski somebody over diplomatic immunity sorry we'll just see us with like like lamborghinis with ski tracks like driving around like hey, hey immunity immunity it could be the Dubai of the northern of north the northern uh, hemisphere. Of, oh, yeah, uh, we need some like uh, some oil barons to help some, help sponsor us in our venture. Get like you know uh, McLaren snowcats and Lamborghini uh, shuttles. <laughs> yeah, you got the shuttles picking you up from the parking lot. What is it? It's a Lamborghini. It's a this Lambo. is like the Dumb and Dumber financial planning that we're doing <laughs> to make this happen. Like if oh, Lloyd yeah. and Harry in the original Dumb and Dumber were buying a ski resort. It's pretty much their ideas that we're <laughs> harnessing through us. Think about this: where you spend six million dollars on the resort and like twelve million dollars on the snow cats that are Lamborghinis. <laughs> to run those are IOUs. <laughs> those are point two five million. That's just I as good as money. That one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's just as good as money right there. I mean, I believe in us. That would be awesome, dude. If I hit the lottery, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, I want. I'm make flying right out there and start negotiations ASAP. We got to get our people talking to their people. Well, I'm going out there and just doing the, don't sell this to anybody. Just hold it for me. Just hold well, it. I got to claim you, my winnings. Aren't you technically like a Canadian citizen? Don't you, can't you get like a dual citizenship now? The wife is. I'd have to apply for it. She'd have to sponsor me. Or oh I could just sneak in the back of a car like I always do. There you Boom. go. Can we like use her as like a shell company to buy it through her? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> She's Canadian. Shell company in Canada. Buy it. If this wasn't publicly on the web, it would be a genius idea. This is all a legend conversation here, Your Honor. Allegedly. Alleged, alleged. Get a set up an account in the Caymans, something through Switzerland. Like, I don't know how it works, but we got to do some of that, some of that shit. Just a thought experiment. We're still allowed to have ideas. That's not illegal. We need a Swiss yet. bank account. <laughs> it's a Bitcoin. We can get a little Bitcoin thing set up. Dude, if we have that much money, we put money into a Swiss bank, right? They are going to help us figure out how to secede from Canada. <laughs> Well, they're connected to Dubai, so the uh, the oil barons will help too. So yeah, we got it. We got them on on speed dial. We'll take care of that. Stormy's in. He's in. He's, he yeah. loves it. Well, 
we're going to have our people talk to their people, see what can happen. And that's going to wrap up the ski news. And speaking of talking to people, we had a great conversation with our friends, Trisha and Phil Puglisi from skitalk.com. If you don't know their website and you bought gear, like you bought the wrong gear, probably go to their site. They got great reviews, tons of different reviewers, whatever style, whatever level you're at, you're going to find the right reviews for the right products. They're great people. We met them at Snowbound. Tons of good information. We think you're going to love this conversation. So check it out and enjoy. Trisha and Phil Puglisi from Ski Talk. And we have a couple of very special guests this week. If you've ever looked for a ski review or wanted to know about new gear, I'm sure you came across their site. They are very well known in the ski media world. It is Trisha and Phil Puglisi of SkiTalk.com. Trisha and Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us. This is awesome. Our pleasure. Yeah, we've been been having had a bit of a rough back and forth. uh, you know, getting this scheduled and, you know, me and Mario even had a couple issues scheduling the last two weeks. You guys have been on the road. We were up at Killington. And uh, so my, my mom was watching our two kids, they're five and two. We were so happy to get away. But as we were driving up there, my wife and I were both like, we're going to pay for this dearly somehow. And that Monday morning, we were ready to hop on the slopes, text from my mom, kids are dropped off. Everything's great. Half an hour later, school calls. Benjamin is vomiting. Come and get him. So, and then as soon as we got home, our daughter got sick and was vomiting like three hours oh, after we got no. home. And then we got sick. And it's just been it's just been a rough week. But I'm so glad we got this scheduled. We're so glad we're talking to you guys. Trisha and Phyllis. So you guys have been all over the place this winter. Yeah. You've been traveling. And you guys live in that that unfortunate snow desert right now of the Reno Tahoe area. <laughs> so you guys are, ba- are stationed there. Yep. How did you guys end up there, and where did you guys get your starts skiing? Whew, that's a big one. Yep. <laughs> um, I I don't even know why I continued skiing after my first experience. It was uh, my boyfriend at the time. I was 18 years old. He took me to the bunny hill at Caberfay Peaks in Michigan, which is like a 375 foot vertical hill and uh, put me on the bunny hill rental equipment, which was miserable. And um, because we all know rental equipment is designed to fit everybody equally poorly. Perfect. And uh, he taught me how to do a snowplow, came back about an hour later, said, hey, you look good enough. Let's go to the next size hill. And I crashed about 18 times going down that tiny little hill. And it was a miserable experience, but I wasn't going to be the girl that didn't, you know, go back for the boy. Right. So I continued to do it. Later, I worked with my nephew in a ski school program for after school skiing. And it kind of rejuvenated my passion, especially when you do it through the eyes of kids. It's just really amazing because it's contagious. Um, And then several years later, when I was 40 years old, I took my first ski lesson. That's when I met Phil for the first time. And uh, here we are, you know, 16 years later, we moved to Tahoe 12 years ago, almost 13, and uh, started this life together. My start was a little bit different. I grew up in the Poconos, um, and it was the old my mom will drive if your mom picks up a group of guys that we used to ski with, which was just a ton of fun. I skied out of Helmback, and one of the guys that actually that I skied with uh, and grew up grew up with back in Pennsylvania actually lives here in Reno and actually he's also one of our ski testers, and that's Andy Mink. We've been great friends over the course of the years. 
brought him aboard. But yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, started skiing there, uh, moved down to Philadelphia, worked in some ski shops in that area, um, managed some sh- shops, did some buying, and just became having the, the innate ability to discern the differences in skis, which caught the attention of a lot of manufacturers. And they started reaching out and talked to me about some development projects, um, worked with some manufacturers on the rep side and, and some product development. And then just as Trish said, we worked our way out to Tahoe. We had some different opportunities out here. We looked all over the West as far as different opportunities and just something kept drawing us to Tahoe. And so far, it's just been fantastic. Your timing was probably really good too, right? Because it seems like there's been just a massive boom there over the last decade. Yeah, we moved out here. It was at the bottom of the market. So the opportunities to buy a home and establish roots here was just prime for us. I hate hate to use this too uh, frivolously, but it just felt like something in the universe pulled us here, told us this is where we should be. And everything kind of landed yeah. here for us. And you we just went with it. That's great. Yeah. Yep. yeah. We, um, we pushed against it at first, but when we finally gave into it, it just, it just seems like everything kept falling into place. And it, it was great for us because if we would move out here now, we couldn't afford where we live. We couldn't afford doing what we do. And fortunately, because of we moved here when we did, we were able to we have, we have a pretty small nut to crack. Yeah. So, fortunately, in mean, Tahoe, they talk about that you come for the winter and stay for the summer. And that really is true. And Reno has mm-hmm. grown as such a great community. We've got some tremendous mountain biking in the off season. Right, we go right out our door. We got P Vine right behind us with about 75 miles of trails. So, I mean, we've wow. got just a ton of four season opportunities here. The golf is really good. And playing at six, oh, about 6,000 feet high. I hit the ball as far as I think I can. 500 yards, right? <laughs> <laughs> you should come out and golf with yeah. us sometime. That would be great. It's funny because we – um, forever. How, how Mario and I got back into skiing was actually in Tahoe also. Heavenly. And Yeah, at Heavenly. We uh, probably close to the same time. It was 2000 – was it 8? 2008 yeah, we went out there. That. And we, uh, Mario and his wife at the time had a timeshare that they were able to, to go anywhere with. And they chose South Lake Tahoe and my girlfriend, now wife at the time, and I, they invited us out and I hadn't skied in probably eight years. I'd skied three times in my life. I was 30 years old. We went out there and first, you know, similar Trisha to your experience, my first day First run was an absolute nightmare. It took me 45 minutes to get down the first little trail off of the lift because I fell and I didn't realize that my binding was partially engaged because I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I kept trying to jam my, my boot back in there. And I was like freaking out and I sweats pouring down my face and they're all around the corner and can't see me. And, you know, just getting through that. And then after a couple more runs being like, Oh, this is fun. And then after the first day, this is really, really fun. And by the end of the week, I was like, my life is now different. And like, I was like, this, this is a sport I need in my life all the time. So maybe something is in Tahoe. Maybe it's the water. Maybe it's the elevation. There's there's something there though that that drags you. Beautiful there. Yeah. And your experience that you're talking about is exactly why I 
Bill and I tend to be those people that if we're skiing down a slope and we see somebody struggling, especially if we see somebody struggling with rental gear, but pretty much anybody who's struggling, we'll stop and say, hey, can I help you? Because we have a pretty solid knowledge of, of what to do to get back up and running once you've fallen on the slopes or lost a ski or something. And um, it, so many people don't. The, the engaged binding, a lot of times when you ski up, they're trying to put their foot back in and they haven't popped the heel back down. And how many times yeah. that have we witnessed that in a year? And, and it's, I really feel that it's our job. We feel that it's our job to help set beginners up for success. And so often people just ski by and don't care and don't, don't pay attention or don't think it's any, but don't think it's any of their business yeah. really. And, um, well, it's also one of the ethos of our site is we, we as far as, as far as the traffic that comes to our site, we want to talk.com, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and that, and what we want to do is we want to make sure that we want to make an environment that's accepting for beginners. There's so many sites out there that, they treat everybody that they were born with skis on. And it's just not the case. We want to make this, this sport accessible for people. We want to make it enjoyable. We want to, as Trisha said, we want to set them up for success and to go out there and have a good time and help them avoid those pitfalls like you had, like Trisha had, and to have the best experience out there on the hills and get a proper boot fit and get set up properly in rentals and get good instruction to, to make this such a lifelong sport for them. I mean, this industry, the retention rate is less than 50%, which is really unfortunate. So we want to make sure that we want to set these people up to have the opportunity to have the best experience possible. Yeah, because wow. that barrier to entry for skiing is daunting for a lot of people. Yes, you know, really first is. off, some people just hate the cold straight out, you know, and that's that, that's what cuts out 30 to 40 percent probably to start. And then. Trisha, you mentioned it, Phil, you kind of reiterated the the rental equipment when you first start out. Is there anything, because you guys, and we didn't even mention, you guys are master boot fitters also. And I know, Trisha, when we were up at Snowbound, you showed me some pictures of someone you actually fitted a boot for, and I was completely drop-jawed. That was incredible. Um, do you think there's anything that could be done in mass? I'm talking, you know, across the rental shops, the ski, you know, ski schools, where you could get people into better fitting equipment their we first really day. Wish, we really wish that there was. And we've had this discussion with a lot of industry professionals, anywhere from Mike Rogan on the top end from PSIA, one of one of their examiners and their demo team members to resort management is the most important person in this industry is the person that's coming into the sport because that's where all of the growth is. But the resorts are set up backwards where they are the, giving that most important person the least qualified employees um, to set, to bring them in. And that's in the rental department. That's that first time instructor that these people should, should be seeing a good boot fitter um, to get in a properly fit boot. Um, and we want to get them one of the better instructors instead of the person that might have four more days on snow than that first person. We want to set them up for success in that process to walk them through that A to B to C to to D and that whole process to get them out on the hill to have that good experience. But unfortunately, this industry really has it wrong. Well, and it's it's not just the industry. It's us as skiers. 
we are in a different position because of what we do and how knowledgeable we are about the base from the ground up. But in, and I'll give you an example. The, the first time I went skiing, um, it was my boyfriend at the time. We went in, we got rental equipment. This is in 1984. So a bit ago. And um, he went out and showed me how to do a snowplow. He went out and said, this is how you stop. And that was pretty much my lesson. So it's not just the industry. It's also our friends. And when we take somebody skiing for the first time, we are remiss if we're trying to teach our friend how to ski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I always shudder when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to take yeah. somebody out yeah. on the slopes. And then you hear they took them right up to the top. And it's yeah. ridiculous. And I, I worked for five years at a boot shop, um, at, a, at a ski shop at the base of the mountain at North Star. And I'll never forget one day this girl comes in and we're talking maybe five years ago this was and she comes in and she's miserable in her boots that she's got on and they're three sizes too big and so where did you get these and she said my boyfriend wanted to teach me to ski so he borrowed his buddy's equipment so she's she's learning to ski in her boyfriend's friend's equipment And it didn't Nasty go amazing. And huh. just bad idea. And yeah. it was miserable for yeah. her. So I talked her into letting me fit her into a boot. I found something that was in the sales section. So it was a moderate price boot, uh, recreational fit. She loved it. It fit great. Her feet didn't hurt anymore. And then I set her up with a coupon to go get a pair of decent rental skis instead of this, the base rental skis. And her boyfriend met her in there. How'd your boot fit go? Did they fix the problem? And she goes, oh, I'm buying these boots. And he railed on me. And said, you're just trying to sell her something. And I said, listen, do you want her to ski? If you do, this is the right path. It's an investment in the future. And later that year, she came in the shop and thanked me and loved skiing. But it broke up with the guy. (laughs) Her new boyfriend. She stuck with him, I guess. But but, uh, (laughs) again, I, you know, I saw her a few times that season. She was happy. She bought the boots. It ended up setting her up for success. And, um, but it was, but there shouldn't be an assumption that you're just trying to be sold something. It should be that somebody really cares. I sincerely cared about her experience. Mm-hmm. It sucks yeah. that yeah, people just always seem to think you're going to be on the take. And yeah. with this, I mean, it is a unique sport in that regard is that, you know, it is unfortunately there is a barrier to entry, a financial one, but it's one of those things that if you do go the right path, your, your whole journey is going to be different. Far you're going to enjoy it. Because again, you're dealing with the cold. You get a bad fitting boot, you're going to freeze your feet off. You're going to be miserable. You know, you get a bad fitting boot, you're going to hurt yourself. You're not going to be able to make your turns right. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you get that across to someone who's new? Or is there some way that there's a, a, a low cost, easily customizable like boot solution? Well, one of the things, and I'll, I'll bring up Palisades Tahoe, they have a program called the Perfect Progression. And I think it's probably one of the better thought out programs that they have. And I'd have to look up the absolute details. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But if you went to their website and looked up Perfect Progression, you can sign up for lessons. And I think you take three or four lessons and they set you up with performance rental equipment and not the basic. And you have three or four lessons Again, I'd have to check that. And once you complete those, you get a season pass there. Wow. And I oh, think wow. and I think the price for that perfect progression program is something like six hundred dollars. Yeah, 
I think they limit it though. I'm just looking at it right now. I just brought it up. Um, yeah. It says price sold out, so they might only have well, a limited number. They have limited amounts yep. per year. Yep. Okay. But it's a really good program, and it's not known. Like yeah. people don't know about it. Wow. Yeah, and I know, like, kind of in the same but different vein. Like, I for my kids, I do the the season rentals from mm-hmm. a local shop. Yeah. And what's great about that is you're not wasting the time at the mountain because that is the nightmare nobody wants to deal with. Yeah. And two, they're like, hey, if you know he his foot grows or something changes, come on in, we'll get him fitted in a different boot. And yeah. I think it was maybe a hundred and twenty bucks for the season, hundred and fifty. Yeah, I mean, that's really reasonable. No, there, there are some really good programs. And um, when I was back east, the one shop that I worked at, uh, that was one of the cornerstones of the business was that seasonal rentals. And I think we did something like 3500 a year. So, I mean, the tremendous amount of 3500 Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was my first pair of skis were um, rent to own. I rented them for the season and then I bought them out at the end because yeah. it was just easier to buy them that way. Yep. Those are good programs too. Cause again, you can yeah, try yeah. it out for the whole season. If it works great, if not, we'll try it again next season. Yeah, and there's, switch them there's up. a good chance. Like we've worked at shops before. We're, we're not affiliated with a specific shop at this point, but we've worked at shops that had season leases before and have been thrown into the season lease program. And you know, if we're not busy on the boot bench and when that happens, that person gets set up for success because of the things that we already talked about. A shop employee is less likely to make a mistake in a season lease than somebody that was just hired on the mountain and barely completed orientation. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, plus, you know, having that for the whole season, you have that consistency of the same boots, same ski every time you go out rather than switching every time. Develop that familiarity and develop, start getting a a flow and and understanding your equipment better. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and it's mostly, it's some about the ski. It's mostly about the boots. We always say you marry your boots and date your skis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely perfect. So now let's talk about ski talk. A lot about beginners. Let's talk about some pros now. All right. Okay. <laughs> so ski talk, you started that about 2015, correct? Yes. Correct. And that evolved from pugski.com. Yep. yep. Did you have a different vision for what pugski would have been when you first started it? Or did you kind of know the, the path you wanted to take? We, we initially worked on epicski.com. Mm-hmm. And when Vail Resorts purchased it, we worked under their umbrella for about three years before they released us from our contracts and said they were going to take our jobs in-house. The community ended up really pushing and they said, you have to do this. You've been giving away your talents for too long. You guys are the knowledge. You're the content builders. You have to do this. And they just started to crowdfund us. It was not our initial concept to do this website. And they said, the name Pugski and bought the URL, gifted the URL to us. And we had a very generous web builder step up and help us build the website, the initial part of it. And um, we knew that what we were building was not going to be the end game. In fact, what we're doing now is not going to be the end game because we are firm believers that um, if you don't grow with what you're doing, then you're dying. You're either growing or you're dying. Yep. And so that was the initial thought. Phil's the one that had the brainchild for the review pages and the, and the article section. I'll let him speak yeah. to that a little more. So one of the things, again, there's many review sites that are out there. Um, a lot of it has become, quite frankly, regurgitated manufacturer's rhetoric. And it's very, 
and everything pretty much says the same thing. And they don't see really anything bad about the schemes or even who's it for. And as far as discerning the differences in in the products. Um, And again, not that there's really any bad skis out there. Manufacturers really don't aren't in the market of making bad skis. And those, those have since long gone by the wayside. But one of the things that I wanted in our review site is one, who's a ski for and who's it not for? And there's nothing worse than getting on the wrong product. And it's not good for you. It's not good for the manufacturer. It's not good for anybody. And it's where people get that information from that can help discern avoiding those wrong products. And we talked about friends teaching friends. Well, friends recommending equipment also isn't always the best thing either because a lot of times they're validating their own opinions. And if somebody's somebody's 6'2", 240, their knuckles rag and they have an extra long cranium and they recommend the ski that they like to somebody that's five foot six, 140 pounds, they won't be able to bend that ski. And we see that a lot in guys recommending skis for their girlfriends or wives or significant others. Because, and again, again, I'm just going to pick out two skis just because they're very popular. If he's on the mantra and he's a big guy and he wants to put his wife on the secret 96 and she's only five, nothing, 105 pounds, she won't be able to bend that ski just because he can. Not that it's not a a bad, the, a bad ski, but it's the wrong ski. And that's one of the things that we really try to help people discern the differences. And the other differences in our review platform is one, it's done by regular skiers. We're, and as Trisha says, skiers with achievable skill set that we're ski, you can ski like us. You can't ski like some of the people that are testing for some of the major publications. They might be ex-World Cup racers or ex-collegiate racers or PSI. Marcus Caston uses this ski, so I'm going to use it too. Exactly. Exactly. I don't ski like coaching. (laughs) And there's a lot of that. And the other thing that we don't, we, we truly want to avoid from the start was a numerical rating of skis an 8.6 or whatever the, the ratings would be because you could take f- five skis or 10 skis. Every single one of those could be a, a 10, a score of a 10, depending on the person that's looking for that type of ski. Well, and we were, uh, when we were working on Epic ski prior to the launch of pug ski, we had done some product testing for on the snow. We were part of their test team. Okay. And it was interesting because I, we, we received these cards to fill out. And one day we skied all mountain skis. And the next day we skied powder skis. And the next day we skied uh, groomer skis. And we had the same card for every one. And I shouldn't be rating a powder ski on a scale of one to five on how well it carves. And I shouldn't <laughs> be rating a carving ski on a scale of one to five on how it handles powder. Yeah. So when we launched our site, things we want to tell you a little bit about what we experienced on it where we skied it the conditions we skied it and then determine who's this ski for is this for a finesse skier that likes to carve is it for a big strong skier that is 
going to charge hard lines? Who's this ski made for? And because of that, we've had quite a following in the industry. In fact, one of the national product managers said that specifically why he came to us to work with us on our website is because he liked how we did that. We, we were honest about the ski without trashing it or building it up. You know, it's funny, you kind of mentioned the, uh, the the first point you brought up about, you know, someone on the mantra and going to the, was it, was it the secret? It's yeah. so funny when you go and watch couples at mm-hmm. resorts, I, a lo- so many times they have the same brand of ski. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I had a pair of Enforcer 93s. My wife now has those and I have the 100s, yeah. you know, yeah. like, but luckily she's tall and she's a really good skier. So she can actually use that ski, which has mm-hmm. been pretty good. But you see so much of that. and. How do you think a consumer, a skier, how does a consumer skier know what ski they should be on? That That's tough. And again, we're into nuances of skis and differences. I mean, once you make your selection and when, when somebody goes into a shop, if the salesperson isn't asking more questions than trying to sell you a product, they don't have your interest in mind. All they're looking to is sell a product. If they're asking questions, where do you ski? What part of the mountain do you ski? What do you like? What don't you like? Are you looking for a ski that is going to work with your strengths or do you want to build on your weaknesses? If you're not getting questions like this and asked to you when you're looking for skis, then they don't have your interest in mind. They just want to sell you skis. If right. they and if you're a woman that goes in and say, "Well, this is what my mom skis, or this is what my girlfriend skis," doesn't matter. I don't know your mom. I don't know your girlfriend. I don't know if they're good, bad, otherwise, and what their needs are in a ski. That's irrelevant. And quite frankly, that's why I started to do more research and got really involved on Epic Ski initially as I went to do the research because I walked into a shop and there was a college age guy, perfectly well-meaning and probably still works at a ski shop to this day. And uh, I, I walked in, I was looking for a new ski. I was on my old straight skis. I was looking for my first shape ski and it ended up being a vertigo a vocal vertigo G3. I remember that ski like crazy good. And what was interesting is when I walked into the initial shop that I walked into, the guy goes, well, let me show you what my mom skis. And it totally turned me off because he knew nothing about me. Yeah. Yeah. You make a lot of assumptions as a ski salesman, which is again, unfortunate because it rarely leads to the right product being put on the, on the consumer. And that's when I joined Epic Ski and that's when I did the research and figured out a few things. I went and demoed some skis and ended up getting the vertical, the vocal vertical G3. And it was my first shape ski. And I had that for a long time. I think my niece still owns it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think any of those like that carve app or, you know, a lot of folks use the, you know, those like ski tracks or those other apps on your phone where it tracks your speed, your distance. Do you think any of those could provide enough data? for a user that you could bring it to you or have some sort of like, I'm getting a little crazy here. I was on chat GPT and stuff like create an algorithm that goes, okay, this is where I skied last season. This is what I did. Plug this data in and go, okay, one of these, these types of skis are for you. Is that possible? Or is that a little video? Insane? Just bring a video of you skiing that on some of your favorite terrain. That probably is one of the most helpful things. If they just bring in some video on their phone, their highlight they, reel. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that should give um somebody a good good idea of what they of their I did. I used to trick people when I worked at the store because I'd say, what runs do you ski? And, and, uh, how many days a week do you ski? And what's your favorite terrain? And they go, Oh, I ski the whole mountain. And there was a run at North star called the rapids that goes underneath the the backside chair and it's just solid bump run top to bottom. And I'd say, well, what do you like? And what do you don't like about your current ski? When you ski the rapids? Oh, I don't ski moguls. The minute they say that, I know they don't ski the whole mountain. Yeah. yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, oh, wow. that's pretty funny. Many, I like, what percentage well, sorry. of people do you think buy skis? Oh, go ahead. Oh, you hear me? Uh, what percentage do you think buy skis without ever trying them? I think a good amount too. Um, and we have a lot of discussion on our site about demoing. Demoing is very difficult. Um, there's, there's a lot of variables that come into it. A lot of the demo shops actually are glorified rental shops. So, I mean, that equipment is not there as a sales tool to really show that product in its best light, but just to go out and just earn the shop money. It's and hard. it gets beat up and it gets it gets skied out. And a lot of people don't realize when you're demoing a ski, you're demoing four things. You're demoing the tune of the ski. The bindings that are on the ski, because there are the demo bindings can be dramatically different than the retail counterparts of the binding. You're demoing the conditions that you're skiing that ski in. And lastly, the ski. And if you're considering maybe two or three different skis, and unless you demo them all in the same conditions on the same day with the same tune, you're really not getting a good comparison. So is it is it impossible to find the right ski? It's not. No, it's it's it's, it's easier than really people think about it. Um, because these skis nowadays are so good. And for the most part, they're extremely versatile. And and the performance range um that we're seeing on a lot of higher end skis now, that 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 performance is so much more accessible now than it was 10 years ago, where we used to have a performance window this big in a ski. Now we've got a performance window. Uh, much lower without losing that high, that top end of the ski, make it much more enjoyable. Yeah, that's yeah, we that's one of the nice things is that perhaps exactly. you didn't you didn't get the one ski that was right, but the second or third place one, the the margin of of difference is so minimal right. that you're you're probably not going to lose out on too much. And then that's why I really try to avoid those number ratings of skis because very well that second or third place ski um, by some by some of the the scoring is going to be a better ski for more people. Well, we also much? ran into some people that uh, were on a demo day, we were up in New Hampshire and they were talking about the tune on the ski and how important that was yep, right. that they were used to a certain tune versus, and I was kind of like clueless to it. So it was kind of nice to hear that. Absolutely. No, that, that's really important. We go to a lot of national demos, which actually buying shows also for retailers coming in to make their selection for the following year. And you'd be surprised how many poorly tuned skis there are out there and the amount of people that cannot discern the difference, whether it's the ski or the tune. Wow. And I know I was out at, uh, I think it was Beaver Creek a couple of years ago, and I was talking to the, the lady working at the the guest services. And she was telling me the ski, her, her son owned a shop somewhere yeah. out in Colorado. And she said the skis she has, she got them. She hated them. Her son totally retuned them. And they're her favorite skis on the planet. 
We we actually just recently had one of our uh, boot clients come to us and ask us about a ski that she just purchased. And she skied it and hated it. So I showed up with a pair of our demo skis that we had in our fleet and swapped skis with her and skied on hers for a bit. And I looked at her and said, it's the tune. It's 100% the tune. Because I've skied on the ski with a good tune before and I know what what's going on. And she was like, thank goodness I thought it was me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's incredible. And yeah, what a difference that can make just something. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many things that are critical to this sport, you know, like, and again, going back to the, the higher barrier to entry, a lot of folks, it's almost better. They don't know what they don't know because if they went into this, you know, when you're asking, asking about these, these, all these, uh, you know, different aspects of it and, you know, tuning and the skis and the everything, it's a lot. Yeah. And in it, it comes down to what we said very first and foremost in this show is it's, it's just trying to set people up for success. And how do you eat an elephant? You start one bite at a time <laughs> and you shouldn't make the person eat the whole elephant in one city, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it still comes down to the boot. The boot's the most important piece of your equipment. You're going to get more with a proper, better fitting boot and a lesser ski than the other way around. Because the energy you put to the ski goes to the boot. And if you don't have a proper fitted boot, you can be on any ski, whether it be a $199 package ski or a $2,000 uh, boutique ski with Europe. You're not going to have a good experience if the boot doesn't fit you well. Even if you have those $50,000 foil skis, it won't matter. (laughs) You also enjoy the whole day when you're on a good boot. So you don't get that. Like, you know, you enjoy being out. You enjoy, you know, skiing and hanging out versus being miserable and going in early. You know, I've seen people do that. Just leave. It's good for the bar. Bar's happy you do that. Yeah. Well, I, and again, I'll go back to when I worked at the base of the mountain. Um, I worked at North Star where some people had really expensive vacations. They were staying at a condo in the village. They brought their whole family. And I would ask them when they come in with a boot question, um, how many days a year do you ski? And they say six or seven, maybe. This week. And it's this week. <laughs> yeah. They pay for this one week and they're paying literally tens of thousands of dollars for this vacation to stay in the village during Christmas because that's when the kids are out school, right? And I want to start working on Oh, I just got them this year. Well, they're a few years old model. I got them in a ski club in the Bay Area. And you just spend tens of thousands of dollars on a vacation and you're spending your time in the shop. Mario and I were actually up at Whistler a bunch of years ago, and uh, I know we talked to you guys when we were up at Snowbound about getting our, our boots at Surefoot, and we saw the same thing, but I guess it was the opposite. The family was there. They were like, hey, we're doing Christmas at Whistler. Let's yeah. all get Surefoot boots, too. That's another ten grand. That's the yeah, polar that's, opposite. Yeah, yeah. That's the polar opposite, but they're setting themselves up for future success. They're going to be in those boots for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully, or until next Christmas, and they buy new boots for themselves. Yeah, knows, and a right? family like that probably has it. They probably got a private instructor for the week, and got their own heli. You know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yes. The struggle is real. For sure. Yes. So now a ski talk. Yeah. I was just looking at your um at the site, and how many folks do you have as a part of your your ski talk crew now? 
Um, including our editor and social media people and testers, um, we have probably about 15 or so. A lot of them are part-time people. And some are volunteer. Yep. Um, and some are not. Yeah. That's, that's pretty significant though. Even yeah, if it's part-time yeah. and volunteers, like that seems to be, you know, things are, are definitely progressing in a, in a good direction for you guys. We're busy. Absolutely. And, and when you go back to the whole question about testing, one of the things that we did as a unique thing that I have not seen anybody else do in the review forum, in the review area, is we we started out maybe five years ago, six years ago. We were doing a product test and one of our friends was in town and he's really knowledgeable and he has a really keen idea of how a ski works, but he was an intermediate at the time. And we said, Hey, come to the test. We want to see how this works. And we took, we took him to a test and said, now, can you describe to me what the ski is doing? And he was very articulate and he wrote some really beautiful reviews and he wrote them from an intermediate viewpoint. And it took off because nobody interviews from a real intermediate viewpoint. It's always, yeah, I'm a former Olympian, US ski team. And you're like, oh, well, that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And uh, it was interesting because Steven related to a lot of people. Now his skiing has advanced and he's not an intermediate anymore. But it was crazy how his reviews, people were attracted to them almost more than anything because they were like, wow, nobody ever speaks to this, this audience. Yeah. 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 And um, it, it ended up, we, we ended up then getting a female intermediate tester. And then we realized how much we don't know about the intermediate level of a ski because of where we are as skiers. And you forget for sure. So like trying to teach, like teaching that beginner again, you're forgetting yeah, all the yeah. things that, you know, you, you, what scared you when you were starting out, what was the thing that made you uncomfortable? Right. And uh, so that's one thing we do. And to my knowledge, there isn't anybody else who does ski reviews from an intermediate view. And then I remember one of the publications, this is going back decades ago, brought, brought people in, um, readers to do reviews, and it failed miserably. And one of the things that was asked was, why don't you have intermediate testers? It's well, intermediates do not know how to start to speak. And I, I really disagree with that. Like a good intermediate that's um, that's smart and discern those differences of that ski. And relate it to the customer. Yep, and relate it. But it's also a very like very small skill set of folks that have that ability to write and describe, but are still at that level as well. Yep, and uh, and we we have experts that can't describe a ski, and, and just because rips, bro. just because you're a top level ski, and we get people come up to us says, "Well, we ski a lot. Can we review for you?" Well, tell me about the ski that you're on. Well, I like it. Yeah, it's fast. Exactly. Well, how does it compare to this other ski? Well, I like this one better. Why? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would be helpful to hear, bro, this rips. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of sites there for that. Yeah. yeah. So how many members do does a ski talk have now? Um, as far as our core 
we got around about eight or nine thousand we um, active uh, members on our site, but that's really part just part of it. The main thing is our viewership on it, and I can't tell you how many times I'm someplace somebody comes up and say, "Oh, I read the site all the time. I love the reviews and what whatever." And I say, "Great. Well, who are, who are you on the site?" Well, I'm not a member. I I just lurk, and it's those people that are very important. And one of the things that we really talk about, and I re-emphasize over and over and over on the site is when you're answering a question on in our site or you have that question you're you're not answering that person asking the question you're answering those other thousands of eyes that might have that same question but are afraid to ask it don't know how to ask it so our readership that way um, and again even gets back to our reviews everything that we want to do is interactive that are that our reviews are not static reviews that you read their reviews and well this sounds good, but how does that relate to me? We can actually talk and communicate with our testers on that specific ski. And one of the things that as far as in our responses, where you might be interested in that ski, the testers, well, I know you're asking me this, but you might want to consider this ski also as far as a consideration. And we've and we've had people asking, well, what do the manufacturers think about that? I said they love it. Because they don't want to have somebody out there on their ski if it's not going to work for them. They want that person on that right ski. Or again, well, again, go back to the mantra as an example. While they might start off looking at that mantra, they might end up with a kendo. They might end up with um, something a little bit lighter, maybe a secret 94, uh, not a, um, the, the Blaze 94 or the Blaze 102 that might be a little better for them. And just to be able to answer that questions for them and have that ability of that interactive review. Because again, people don't know what they don't know. If they only know one, one type of ski that a manufacturer makes and you open their eyes to something else and they have a better experience because of that, it's a huge win. Brian, another example is I was doing a lecture at a women's clinic at Mount Rose here about a month ago, and a woman came up to us and she said, I was reading a review and I really wanted this really great Razi experience ski and I bought this and I bought it in this length and she was telling me and I'm like, boy, that seems kind of short for you and and you've got the basalt version, which is a little bit lighter and tell me what's going on with it. She goes, well, I get bounced around and it's a little twitchy. I said, I'd recommend a little bit longer version and go with a tie version for your size and skill set. She goes, there's a tie version. <laughs> she ended up demoing the tie no, version. Right? Yeah. She ended up demoing the tie version and bought it. Yeah. And this is a woman that she's an athletic woman. Visually, you can see that she's, but she's like five, six, five, seven, a, a tall woman. And you can tell she, she, she does a lot of sports. And when they, when she walked into the shop, they sold her the, the ski in what I'll call the mom size, which only came up to here on her. Mm-hmm. And it was not nearly enough ski. The ski has a lot of rise. And so skis even shorter. So they they were the right church but the wrong pew. I mean, <laughs> the, I, we love the we love the ski as far as the um experience, and it was the eighty six. And this, there's somebody for that yeah assault version, but it wasn't this woman. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guilty of the same thing. I when I, I before I knew too much, I had a pair of the vocal the RTMs the eighties, and <laughs> I was getting a, again getting my wife the same pair of skis, but I made sure to get her the shorter one. So I had a 171. I got her a 166. They were too short for both of us, but I had no idea. I was just like, 
I don't want her to have bigger skis than me, man. You know, so it was now she's skiing on a 177 because yeah. she's tall and she can she can bend it. She can ski really well with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, again, because I was dumb, I affected her skiing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. Now, besides ski talk, are you guys yeah. still doing boot fitting? Yes. Uh, well, we've got a, a pretty much a by appointment program. Uh, we've got a full boot lab at, at our headquarters, which is also our home. Um, it's set up, quite frankly, better than probably 85% of the shops in the country as far as canteen alignment, assessment, footbeds. Uh, we are we are set up soup to nuts as far as doing a proper boot fit uh, for people. But we really don't advertise it. We just pretty much work by appointments. And, and we don't sell boots. Yeah. Um, we have, we will do a boot recommendation and help the person figure out the boot that they need. And then we'll do the work afterwards. I was going to ask that. I'm like, yeah, if you guys aren't a real shop, how do you get the inventory? That's got to be, you know, I, I feel like that's, again, one of those barriers or issues with the barrier to entry to skiing is that if a shop only has Solomon boots, they're going to make sure you fit into some pair of Solomon boots when maybe a Scarpa or a Dalbello is the right thing for you. Well, is- every manufacturer, and we get people say, well, I don't have a Lang foot or I only have a Nordica foot or this and that. Every manufacturer has a full line of boots that fit a multitude of feet. I mean, there's very few manufacturers that if a shop wants to carry just one brand, they could survive because that manufacturer offers a multitude of different shapes. But you're better off with with at least two or three full line brands and, and build from there. But as far as the way that the manufacturers have their different, will you term last, which is the shape of the, of the inside of the boot. There are a lot of options, especially now with all the heat fitting shell options that you have. Okay. And is there anything you guys can do online or does someone have to be there at the headquarters? They'd, for a fitting? We'd, have to, we'd have to physically yeah. see their feet and figure, you know, see it. Can't take a bunch of weird foot photos. You guys can like figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you can't tell is you can't sell, tell soft tissue. You can look Mm -hmm. at a foot, but you don't know as far as how much of it is bone, how much is where, where the veins running on it. What is soft tissue? You can't tell as far as how much the boot pronates supinates. And as far as how flexible the foot is uh, from, from just pictures and such, you need to really touch, touch, feel, and, and work with the foot. You know, we have a few basic don'ts like, well, I call them my walkout, my walkout commandments. If you go into a boot shop and they ask you what size shoe do you wear, walk out. They need yeah. to measure your foot. <laughs> if you walk into a shop and they don't ask you to take your shoes and socks off so that they can see the veins and the soft tissue on your foot, walk out. If you walk into a shop and they say, hey, I like this boot for me, so I'm going to put it on you, walk out. (laughs) You know, there are just some things that you have to experience when you go into a shop. And if you don't experience, they need to measure your foot fully. They need to measure your vamp, which is your instep area over top of your foot, not just the length of your foot. They need to measure your arch length. Um, If they don't take all those measurements and they're just getting you a boot based on your shoe size, walk out. I bought my first pair at Sports Authority and had that. I, I, those were all three of those I would have hit. And I should have walked out, but, yeah. you know, live and learn. I got a nice planter out of it. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of boots. Yes. Oh, getting, wow. We're already at 45 minutes here. This time flew. Okay. Boa. Boa. It's been the big, everyone's talking about Boa now. 
Yeah. Yep. What do you, have you guys uh, checked any of those boots out yet? Yeah, we've got actually um, – there's four manufacturers who are working with Boa this year, and that is Atomic, Solomon, K2, and Fisher. These are four brands that have had relationships with Boa through the years, whether it be for snowboard boots, liners, or, or even AT boots. Um, we've got, we've worked with all four brands. Um, I've got the K2, the Solomon and the atomic. atomic in my boot rotation for this year. I've, uh, one of our testers has the Fisher in their rotation and Trisha has the Solomon in the atomic. atomic. It's a, it's a fit option. It's really what it is. And what it has the ability of doing is encompassing that foot a little bit snugger and a little more uniform than buckles. So it's a nuanced difference. It's an evolution in boot fit. Uh, we're going to see probably more manufacturers going with it over the next couple of years. Are we going to see every manufacturer adopt it? No, we're not. Uh, there's going to be some that are going to stick with traditional buckles. That's fine too. Um, is it the end all be all of it? Is it a hype? Is a lot of, a lot of sizzle with the steak, mm-hmm. but I will say it does work. Is it kind of like the the micro adjustments you can make? Like maybe you're between like two yes. buckles. Like yes, it would yeah, get well, you let, that. Me, let me grab a boot and I'll just walk through it quick. Okay, great. Now, Trisha, the things you kind of mentioned, yeah, your walkout stuff. You guys did that demo at Snowbound, which is awesome, where yep. you guys actually showed that, and that was yeah. That's I think that's eye opening for people because a lot of people probably never realize that that's how bad and how you're not going to get the right fit if the boot right. fitter does that. Yeah, this is the K. This is the K two. Um, the clog on the boot, which the clog is the lower part of the boot, and that's what the bow is attached to. It also these clogs. They didn't take just the the clog from last year, add slap bow on it, and called it good. It is actually set up a little bit different. The way that the the bow is attached to the boot. Can you switch this to full screen for a little bit bigger? Sure. There we go. Okay. So our BOA dial is here on the side here. And it's a little bit different than BOA's in the past. First of all, the cable is much beefier than any BOA that has come before, whether whether it was on a snowboard boot, whether it was on a golf shoe or whatever. Yeah, I have a K2 roller blade. And I, I can see there. Yep. And the, the strength in this is dramatically different. The other difference is in, in the dial on this is I, as I rotate forward, it brings the, the, the lower clog in together. And what it also does, it brings the sides in also and not just the top down, which buckles are very susceptible to doing. So it does mm-hmm. that. The other ability that this has that previous – um, Boas did not. It has the ability of loosening a little bit. So we can dial this back a couple of notches also along with tightening. Where in previous generations of Boa, what you would have to do to release it is you would have to open it up completely. That would release tension. And start over again, right? Exactly. And start over again. Now we have the ability of going either direction on it. Well, that's pretty slick. People were concerned about it breaking this is a breakaway design. If I smash this on something, the boa piece will come off and it clicks back on. You don't have to worry about it breaking and coming apart and, and damaging itself. People say, oh, I, I, I ski high edge angles. I don't want to boot out on it. Boot out means you're hitting the side of the boot and it makes that ski slide away. This is up higher than any buckle would be. So you have less chance of booting out with this. Durability also, 
that's going to be long-term for you. Any shop that is carrying a BOA boot from any of these manufacturers will have a fit kit there. So if something does break, that you can go into that shop and they got replacement parts. You'll be in and out of that shop in probably 20 minutes or less. Again, this is the K2 version of it. The Solomon and the other the other two brands, Atomic and Fisher, they're going to look identical to this, just different colors on it. So as far as the, the lines that are available, is K2 probably has the most extensive line as far as uh, – Fit models, whether it be the recon on the and the women's is the anthem, and then also the mind bender, which their backcountry boots or side country boots, they all have bow, and I believe they got like six or seven different models. Solomon is focusing primarily on the front side collection with uh, um, the super super uh, uh, super boots, and Atomic is going to focus on the side country or the backcountry collection with the um, XTDs. In that and fits on them going to be a little bit different. Most of the manufacturers are going with a 100 millimeter or a medium volume last in the boots. And the K2 and the Solomon are 100 millimeters, same as that of the Fisher. The Atomic is actually a 98 last, so that is going to be a lower volume shell that will be coming in BOA from them for this a, first year, yeah, because they're offering the Hawks Ultra XT, yep. yep. Okay. Is there any sort of weight difference with the BOA system versus a regular um, buckle? Negligible. Um, it, it might be it might be 50 grams compared to the buckles. And that's going to vary from manufacturer to manufacturer and the weight of the buckles that were on that uh, traditional counterpart, uh, counterpart of the boot. Is there anything else people should should know about before wanting to jump into BOAs? Or? If it fits, get it. If it doesn't, move on to a different boot. Uh, don't make a decision if the boot has or does not have boa. Uh, the fit is first and foremost. Okay, beautiful. I think that answered a lot of questions. We're getting close to an hour here. Let me get you back to there. We go. All right, back to the regular crop layout mode. So, you guys, like I said, you guys have had a you're based in Tahoe, but you guys have had it a great winter bouncing all over the place. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere you guys have on your bucket list that you want to ski and you guys get to ski all over the place. So there aren't that many places left. Yeah. We've talked about Taos. We want yep. to go to Telluride. Yep. Uh, this past year we hit up a few new places. We hit Crested Butte and Monarch, which we had not skied before. Yep. Uh, Brighton, which I'd only skied once ever before um, in Utah. We and Monarch this year, probably one of our highlights Monarch, Monarch was one of our highlights, and the second highlight was Sundance, I would yeah. say. Um, we had an opportunity to go to Sundance with 50, uh, 30 people from our website and had a phenomenal powder day. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> we really started to enjoy the, the atmosphere and the vibe of ski areas over ski resorts. And those smaller areas really are a lot more intimate, a lot more f- local flair, can be a little less expensive, a little bit easier to get around in them. And they've been a lot of fun to uh, to, to really ski. And again, our home mountain here is in, in the Tahoe Basin is Mount Rose. A lot of it is because the accessibility of it with, with, with our jobs and testing skis. 
we need access to our car pretty regularly. So getting to and from our car and the parking lot is very accessible at Mount Rose. That works out very well for us. It's the highest elevation here in Tahoe, and the amount of snow that they get because of that is very consistent. That's nice. And as far as places, Trish mentioned a lot, and I, I'd like to get back to Yellowstone Club. That, that was a lot of fun getting back there. So, didn't uh, didn't Nazja just have a, an offering? At the uh, Hall of Fame week? we Well, we did. The Hall of Fame had an uh, offering to ski over Yellowstone Club. Uh, we were scheduled to go over with that, uh, but they had, we, so they had so much interest. Plus, oh, our, our commitments to, to get everything done and work with the Hall of Fame, we just couldn't get over there and get back again. Uh, we're fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with the members from the Hall of Fame uh, that if I need to reach out and if we're up there and have some extra time, I think I can find my way back in again. Beautiful. What's it like skiing there? I can't tell you. Can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me, but then you have to kill me, that kind of thing. It's, it's actually really nice. And it's not what you would think. Everybody, uh, the first time we were there was for the Warren Miller statue unveiling. And there's myself, um, one of our testers and uh, Justin Koski is the director of the hall of fame uh, were there. And what was really surprising how really nice and accepting everybody was. And it was just, everybody's so polite holding the doors open. Hey, welcome. Thank you very much for coming here. Thank you for what, what you do um, in the industry. So that was really good. And the terrain, yes, the groomers are manicured. They're magnificent, but they do have some pretty aggressive terrain there. We were skiing with Scott Schmidt, and I mean, the shoots along the back, there's stuff that he doesn't ski anymore. So wow. that's just a little bit, uh, a little bit up there. That says something. It does. Yeah. It does. Trisha, anything from you? Any bucket list places for you? Well, we talked earlier about, uh, we want to ski top. Well, I have not been to the Yellowstone yeah. club, so yeah. there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I would love to ski Alaska. Um, I don't know if helicopter skiing is on my list, but I think it'd be great to get to Alaska to ski. And um, oh, the Kardashians I, hella skied. I mean, it's on everyone's yes. list. Yeah. yeah. I get back up to Alaska. And again, there's a new area that just opened up a coincidentally called Ski Talk, uh, <laughs> spelled a little bit different S K E. E-T-A-W-K. Yeah, uh, the in um, the na- native Alaskan uh, version of it. That's oh, really? Up yeah. at Hatcher Pass. Uh, it's got to be your sister used- mountain, though, now, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so it used to be just um, cat access ski in there. Uh, now they are putting a ski area in there, which is really nice. So I'd like to get get up there, hit there sometime. Love to get up the Revelstoke and hit the Powder Highway up that way. I hear that's just magnificent. Yeah, I just uh someone just sent us something that there's a resort that's for sale now up in northern BC. It, Maybe we can go in on it. It's only eight million. I mean, come on. We'll get some people. You got yeah. what, how many members do you guys have? They gotta chip in a few bucks. Yes, yeah. I gotta start buying those lottery tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Trisha, Phil, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. So ski talk.com. Yeah. That's where everyone can go and become members and check out the reviews and learn a ton. All the socials. Are you guys ski talk? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And YouTube channel, we're looking, we're sorry, getting our views up this past year. We did almost a hundred views this past year. We're looking to grow our YouTube channel. So check that out. Click that subscribe button and like button, everything you have to do on YouTube. And remember, skiing is fun. Skiing is fun. Trisha, Phil, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having us. All right. Our pleasure. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want more information, we'll have links to all their information at skibumpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We're on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, untapped at skibumpodcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Go to Patreon, please. Patreon.com slash skibumpodcast. Help us buy Powder King. You know, like maybe we could set up a special level where you get to have some sort of timeshare rights. If you give us... If you give us as a, a big investment, we'll we'll hook you up. That's that's the ultimate Patreon right there. Or if you got a guy who knows a guy, ski podcast at gmail.com. We could figure this out. Let's we set talk. Up a, maybe a DAO. Yeah. We'll set up a DAO decentralized. I forget what the AO, AO stands for, but it's decentralized. A bunch of people so come have together. Our own crypto in our own country. We don't need our own crypto. There's already we'll just be bitcoin based you don't need to build our own that's when things get weird we got to do something with our names on our faces on we gotta have a bill no like one bill i don't want that one dollar bill or something we'll have like so like chuck e cheese coins pretty much we'll have to have that everybody has to use this special card with our branding and logo on it no you got to do it like the cruise ship yeah just have like the card that's tied to your account so we have your credit card information you just like swipe your card or whatever the cookie costs 15 bucks you don't know it you're just swiping your card and you don't care because it it seems free you're on vacation you don't care boom yes thank you so much for listening we do appreciate it i'll talk to you guys next week stay hot stay polluting see ya